Sophia's best friend passes away, she's forced to confront a mortal enemy in order to pay her respects. That enemy is her friend's widow, Max. Max and Sal had been business partners before Max lost everything on a bad bet. But when Sophia learns the truth about the situation, will her feelings towards Max change? In the meantime, Rose and Blanche's Elvis fan club has them asking Dorothy to not be cruel as he is always on their minds. Will Sophia and Max make up for lost time? Will Blanche and the wedding planner become best friends? Will we talk too much about Quentin Tarantino? Find out all of that and more in today's episode, Sophia's Wedding, Part 1. Well, we finally have a straightforward title. This is the episode with Sophia's wedding. But before we get to that, we find black and pink robe wearing Blanche, titties deep in the freezer, pulling out a dish. But we haven't the time to find out what it is as Ellen is bursting in the door with a, girls, girls. Oh, you are such a disappointment. As always, I apologize. That wasn't Ellen. It was Rose in head to toe bright pink, and she is so excited. Blue house dress wearing Sophia and brown sweater jacket thing wearing Dorothy are at the table and they are inches away from Rose's frantic mail opening. She has finally received a letter from the Elvis Presley fan club. There is a bit of an oh boy or an unlanding joke when the letter reads, your neighborhood and or trailer park has been accepted, implying trailer park folks are more prone to Elvis fandom. There are just a lot of implications here. And we don't like them. We don't like those implications. Too worked up to read the letter, Rose hands it over to Dorothy. It's good news. Rose, wanting to open a local chapter of the Hunka Hunka Burning Love fan club, was approved, making this the best and most fulfilling day of her life, which to Sophia makes Rose's life the saddest thing she's ever heard of. She'd go on, but there's a ringing phone to answer. Overhearing the commotion, Blanche shares her love for the king, so Rose offers her the opportunity to be the first member of the club. Blanche is happy to accept and crowns herself as the president. For Rose, the person who literally just founded the club, she doesn't see how Blanche could be the president. Stating her case, Blanche claims to have seen the oh-boy-riddled harem-scarum 50 times, which Rose has also done. Is that the one about Charles Manson? <laughs> close, that's Helter Skelter. Ah. But close, close. <laughs> Where does he come from? Oh no. Who is he? Well, I'm the Sheikh of Araby. I'm the Sheikh of Araby. <laughs> yeah, it's. Sheikh, 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 my little honey and a Sheikh, 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 Elvis. I got to put some Tom Hanks clips in here. No, I didn't take my boy away from nothing. 
He was running from the day he was born. I just opened the door to our destiny. Here's some of the wording on the screen in case you don't have this trailer memorized. It's Elvis doing what comes naturally, where the slave girls and sultans are swingers. It's the Arabian Nights a-go-go, as Elvis brings big heat to Baghdad. I highly recommend this trailer as he karate chops everything in his path, including a jaguar. I can't fathom watching that 50 times, but I guess when you only have so many movies to choose from... Who was it that saw that 50 times? Both Rose and Blanche, and probably my grandmother. Well, I bet... I bet Rose, uh, they had it like at the library or something, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like a film reel. That was their one movie. They had that in the Ten Commandments. Yes. Movies were different then. Yeah. I mean, today I can turn on my TV and between our streaming services find, I don't even know what number would be too ridiculous. Half a million movies? I don't know. It seems like that. I feel like on the low end, I feel like we have access. It's got to be 30,000, I would say. It's on gotta the be low 400, end. It's got to be 400,000. It's got to be so many movies. <laughs> Listener, Gmail us if you know how many. Because we have every movie channel. Yeah. And I think every streaming service except Apple. Yeah, get YouTube t- um, TV, everybody. It's very cheap. And uh, Thank you. And there are so many movies. So, of course, you're not going to watch the same one as many times like back in the day when you had two movies a week maybe and they were just in the theater and that was it that was it if you wanted to see it you had to go see it in the theater and then it was gone it was gone wow the love of elvis competition goes on blanche has all 24 of his albums well so does rose but she one-ups blanche she picked up his nearly 90 singles Using the only card she knows, Blanche then claims to have slept with Elvis at a Motel 6 in her favorite town of debauchery, Chattanooga. Chattanooga listeners, or anyone that knows people in Chattanooga or knows about Chattanooga, Gmail us if uh, (laughs) Chattanooga's a nasty town. Yeah, what's up with... people get freaky and nasty. Yeah, what's up with Blanche getting debaucherous? I know about the Chattanooga choo-choo. What are they chewing? Mmm, buns. Hell yeah. (laughs) With no rebuttal, Rose names Blanche the president. Sitting down with Dorothy, she's asked why she lied about sleeping with Elvis. For Blanche, it wasn't an outright lie. Back in the day, there were a lot of boys who looked a lot like Elvis and had the name Elvis. She wasn't paying that much attention, so for her, it was technically a possibility. When Dorothy disagrees with her logic, she gets more specific. Fine. You slept with some Elvis, but not Elvis Presley. Giving in, Blanche restates her claim. Okay, it probably wasn't that Elvis, but there was an ugly guy named Ernest. And while making love, Blanche hollered out Elvis. So again, to her, that technically counts. A fun fact, you too can start your own Elvis fan club. It is not the hunka hunka club, but it is official. You can apply by emailing fans at graceland.com. I've screamed out in Elvish during lovemaking. (laughs) (laughs) Then the water horses come in to clean up the mess. That's a Lord of the Rings joke, everyone, for those that don't know. Coco, are you an Elvis fan? Are you are you hosting mm. your own hunka hunka burning love fan club? No, there's a few of his songs that are very cool, but no, generally no. And uh, 
I, I just no. I grew up with parents <laughs> that like weren't like super into music. They listened to music, but really like lightweight stuff mm. mostly. And uh, so I never had exposure to it. I didn't know. I didn't know anyone that liked Elvis when I was growing up. I, that, that like to, that I knew that they liked him. I have no idea. Yeah, I do think parents, especially yeah. now it's it's a handed down thing. Oh yeah, it like, has to be. No one's well, no one's now like they discovering well, well yeah movies yeah. and all that but boy yeah. that movie <laughs> we'll get to that later yeah I'm the same way where it's the fandom always kind of um, I wasn't so sure about it I couldn't put my finger on it and I always felt really sad with for him oh yeah I mean he yeah just knowing like having a vague understanding of his life and situation it was just kind of like, ooh. How and then, much he was used. and Yeah, and then how, how much yeah. he used black culture, even if yeah. that was his culture that he was yeah. in or not, it still was. And so that's a whole another issue. And I agree. I have like two or three, like Fool's Russian and Can't Help Falling, or that's the same song, Can't Help Falling in Love. Mm-hmm. I won't change that one. No. There's a couple of his ballads like that that I'm just, they have that classic sound that just immediately is like, my heart is a flutter. Like, oh my God, what a beautiful yeah, song. Yeah, it strikes that perfect. Yeah, but. Yeah, um, it actually, yeah, it hits you in the heart. It's true. Yeah, overall, I'm not. And my grandma was a fan, but I mean, I think she had like maybe a commemorative plate, but it wasn't like it was on all the time or anything like that. And she was way into his gospel stuff. She would listen to his gospel tunes as a good Southern Baptist would from Lubbock, Texas. So there you go. We're on the same page, I think. But I'll put that in there. (laughs) (laughs) Returning from her phone call, Sophia is wiping away tears. Concerned, everyone asked what happened. Well, she got bad news. Her best friend from childhood, Esther Weinstock, passed away. To which Coco asked, Was this a friend from Sicily where she was a child or Brooklyn? Or did they come to America together? We may never know. When Dorothy compassionately inquires as to what caused her death, Sophia, straight-faced, starts a sad story of Esther's oil firefighting skills before shouting, She was 88! Not catching Sophia's sarcasm, Rose celebrates that Esther was able to work right up until she died. Assuming her mother would go to the service, Dorothy offers to join her in the trip to Brooklyn. But Dorothy knows the reasons behind Sophia's refusal to attend. Rose knows, too. It's because Esther's body was lost to the Gulf of Mexico as she fought diligently against the flames. That's a fine theory, Rose, but not exactly what's going on here. The issue hasn't anything to do with Esther. It's her widow, Max. Before Dorothy can calmly explain the situation, Sophia pops back into the kitchen to rapidly exclaim she will not be under the same roof as that Bagjagaloop. Now that she's stormed off, Dorothy can explain in more sense-making detail. See, what had happened was Max and Sal were business partners running a pizza and knish stand on Coney Island. A knish is a traditional Jewish snack consisting of a filling covered with dough that is baked or deep-fried. Yum. Well, one day, Max admitted to having gambled away the stand's profits, forcing them to close the business. And for that, Sophia never forgave him and never wanted to be around him again. As Dorothy wraps up the story, Sophia returns, starting with her own version. Dorothy tells her that the girls had been informed, which Sophia had assumed since she had planned on returning earlier, but her little heel got caught on the carpet. Even though Sophia swore she would never look at Max again, Dorothy knows the funeral is important to her, so she offers to buy both their plane tickets back home. 
Sophia's on board, but those had better be business class tickets. She's not going to sit through the 1986 comedy The Three Amigos Without Booze. Speaking of fan clubs, Coco and I are the presidents of the Three Amigos fan club. It came out when I was three, and I loved it. I loved it then. I love it now. With one caveat, I haven't seen it in a couple of years, so there is probably a heap of oh boys. But how could you be mad at it? You've got Steve Martin, Martin Short, that tall, horrible guy. They're all being idiots. And it only has a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ugh, whatever. That is very surprising to me that it only has a 45%. I know. I don't know why people were mad at it. A singing bush. Yeah. There's an invisible swordsman. I think that some of the content with the uh the villagers and villains is pretty Oh yes, that's yucky. very archaic. Yeah. And um, but I do like that it does feel like they're poking fun at white guys yes. playing those roles. Being the white saviors. Yes, being the white saviors and being like, of course we can do that. It's amazing. And then they're actually put in that situation. It's like, no, you're just idiots. And I don't know if that part was maybe lost on people or people didn't care or get it. I don't know. But I've always liked that, that it makes fun of them. It's like the original Tropic Thunder. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure. That, well, let's look back at that movie, Tropic Thunder, and see how how that one looks in our rearview peepers. You sure? Oh, yeah. Yeah? For certain, mate. Why are you still in character? Hmm? I know, but I don't have to tell you you don't know. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. How thrilling. We're at a new location in a new city in a new state. We're in Brooklyn, baby. Entering the home that was either used for the Cosby show or all in the family, we see guests wandering before Sophia, in all black, makes her way straight to the food table. After one nibble, she tells Dorothy, also in all black, that they can go home. Dorothy refuses. They didn't fly all that way just to attend the funeral. They need to pay their respects to Esther. But Dorothy makes Sophia promise that she'll act better at the reception than she did at the burial, where she tripped Max and he almost fell into his wife's open grave. And while he did that, Sophia hollered out, start shoveling, boys. At that point, you're square. You maybe lost the business, but you tripped me into an open grave. And tried to have me buried alive. So wait, wait a second. Did I didn't ca- I I wasn't. I guess I wasn't listening when we watched the show, and I wasn't listening right now. <laughs> Did that that she put she that happened? She tripped him. She and he tripped fell him. In. He almost fell in. Oh, she. So just it tri- makes okay. it sound like maybe his arms went in, or like he landed partially something, or like across. The, yeah. the the hole. Oh. And and she started yelling for them to start shoveling the dirt. She certainly has a, a certain kind of magic based on what happens later. <laughs> Negged him into bed. Apparently, Max didn't see the Patrillos at the funeral. He was probably, you know, a little preoccupied mourning his dead wife, but he is delighted to see them now. Playing Max Weinstock is Jack Guilford. Sadly, this was one of his last roles before he passed away in 1990. Jack's career spanned 70% of the 20th century. Not only did Jack appear on shows like Car 54, Where Are You, Get Smart, All in the Family, Rhoda, Captain Kangaroo, Lou Grant, Soap, 30-something, Night Court, Mama's Family, and Hotel, he was praised for his performances in films like Cocoon and Save the Tiger, the latter of which earned him an Oscar nomination. 
After being discovered at work by Milton Berle, his screen career was eventually derailed when he was accused of communism during the McCarthy hearings, of which he and his wife were called to testify. So he moved on to Broadway, where he ended up being nominated for several Tonys. For a good example of his physical comedy, you should YouTube Dean Martin, I Feel Like a New Man. If you attempted to take a cigarette, what are you going to say to yourself? Let not tobacco master you. Just ask yourself, what does it do? It stains your fingers, burns your clothes, and makes a chimney of your nose. That's a good boy. Seeing Dorothy all grown up, Max is delighted to, well, actually sort of see her, even if he does remember her as a blonde, which is, you know, kind of strange. To him, she looks like the long-haired, adorable child he knew back in the day. But he has had the blurry vision-causing eye condition of cataracts for 20 years, So what does he know? Before Sophia can get out the door, Max shares he knows how appreciative his late wife would have been to have had her there. With no love lost between the two, Sophia approaches Max, telling him that she loved Esther, which is why she hated him. She deserved better. Unaffected, Max just says that if Sophia knew the whole story, she wouldn't be acting that way. Dramatically walking away, Max gives a fooey before telling Sophia she best not push him. Then... Well, she literally does, shoving his shoulders while wishing they were at the top of a flight of stairs. Her rage then intensifies. Because of Max, her family struggled. They went hungry. Piping in, Dorothy reminds her that they never went without food. Okay, fine. They ate, and they ate well, but sometimes Sophia wanted to indulge in a dessert, and that they really couldn't afford. Fed up with and offended by Sophia's callousness, Max spills the beans. Forty years prior, the two couples, Sophia and Sal, Max and Esther, were sitting in the living room playing gin. It's another fabulous flashback with Estelle wearing a more age-appropriate wig, no aging makeup, but a similar style of clothing that she still wears. Max has a fantastically dark wig on. Sal is, well, Sal. And Esther, we don't know who Esther is. The actress is facing away from the audience and her name is not listed on IMDb or the show's credits. So what the heck is that about? Maybe they just grabbed a writer and they didn't want to be listed or something. That's very, that's weird. It's very strange. I'm, I think I'm scared. (laughs) Who the mystery woman is. Don't say that. When Sal has a winning hand, he hopes his good luck, especially now that he's spruced up for a night out by getting a new shirt and trimming his ear hairs, will continue when he and Sophia get home. Spicy. Although, I guess he will need some linguine on that shirt to make it appropriate. Even though Sophia is wild about him, and he probably will get lucky in his new, not-yet-marinara-covered shirt, Sophia has to give him a hard time saying he's acting like French-American heartthrob of the first half of the century, Charles Boyer. He appeared on the stage and screen, but it was his films of the 1930s that he was most famous for. As the group talks about the day, Max shares it was busy and that they sold out of everything. Needing to talk to Max, Sal asks the gals to go grab him some coffee. When they leave, he spills. He took the money from the week and bet it on a horse race that he thought was a no-lose situation— But that wasn't the case. He lost, and the business is broke. For Sal, he knows that it's even more of a loss than his business. Sophia will leave him if she finds out what he did. So to protect his friend, Max takes the blame, saying that he played the money. While Sal tries to protect both Sophia and Max, it was too late. Sophia had a deep hatred for Max, 
He didn't care. He cared too much about Sal and Sophia to let the business break them up. Back to the present day, Dorothy was moved by his kind, albeit friendship-ending gesture. Realizing she was in the wrong, Sophia needs to apologize, but it's a struggle. Not because she'd been holding in resentment for four decades, but because she's Sicilian, and that's just not in her nature. It's not just apologies Sicilians have difficulty with. They also struggle with passing wet cement and not putting a person, someone like Frank the Snake or Mitch the Snitch, into it. But they are capable, just as Sophia is, of making amends with Max. After Dorothy makes all those points, Sophia realizes that she's right. Sophia approaches Max to tell him the Kanishas were pretty good. He accepts her apology. Having returned from the funeral, it's time for the first meeting of the Hunka Hunka Burnin' Love fan club. As a periwinkle power suit donning Blanche closes out the meeting, she has exciting news. She has a piece of real Elvis memorabilia. I won't go into everyone's outfits here, but boy, oh boy, take a moment to pause and really appreciate all of the looks, especially that of the purple pants-wearing woman. Rose, the group's secretary, then grabs the holy item. In a plastic case is a partially eaten pork chop supposedly chomped on by Elvis himself. As the fans swoon over the bite marks and the healing aura, the meat gets handed to Dorothy. She isn't so much of a fan as she is someone who lives in the house, so she went to the meeting. Her joke of, he never would have left this much meat on the bone, earns her scowls and disgusted looks from the other women. Before she can adjourn the meeting, Blanche kicks Dorothy out of the club. I didn't really go into it, but obviously that joke is based off of Elvis's indulgement in foods. He had great appetites for everything. Every sensory thing that you could do, yeah. I think. And I think he was very famous for pork chops and like peanut butter banana sandwiches. Yeah, I think it was fried peanut butter and banana yeah. sandwiches. Did so, he have pork chop sandwiches too? Pork probably. chop sandwiches. I think, he, <laughs> I think he ate a lot of pork chop. The women leave. A disappointed Rose and Blanche look to Dorothy to make sure she's okay. Although after that little comment, they don't really care if she is. Taking a moment to reflect, Dorothy hopes there's another group she can join, maybe a support group for those who have been kicked out of an unofficial Elvis fan club. If you're going to get kicked out of an organization, I think the best time for it to happen is right before the party wraps up. Oh, yeah. You're in the clear. You don't have to do anything. You can actually make more of a mess because you've been kicked out. <laughs> those little mini pretzel twists are going everywhere. Yeah, well, and if it's, yeah, if it's not your house, you can get chaotic. But in this case, Dorothy could literally just go to her room. I would. Be like, oh, okay, bye. <laughs> Rose gives her condolences, but reminds Dorothy that it's clearly in the rules. No one shall make fun of the king or they will be removed from the group. Blanche makes the suggestion that perhaps Dorothy can find a club that is less fanatical. Picking a very extreme group to compare to the Elvis followers, Dorothy jokes that perhaps the Palestinian nationalist group, the Palestine Liberation Organization, or the PLO, would be a good option. Throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they were involved in multiple instances of guerrilla warfare against Israel. I love when Rose accidentally makes a joke or burns someone with her honesty. Like in this case, as Blanche and Rose start cleaning up, Dorothy enjoying the couch as she is no longer a member, so cleaning up is not her mess to deal with. Blanche rhetorically asks what everyone thinks her least favorite part of clearing up after a party is. Without even looking up from the cleaning she's doing, Rose takes an educated guess 
that it's when she has to dig through the big pile to find her pair of underwear. Ignoring the remark, which probably isn't all that inaccurate, Blanche corrects her. No, it's cleaning up the dishes. Not wanting to deal with it, Blanche suggests that they all go out to eat and then get the dishes when they come back. The idea is supported by all, and Dorothy decides that since Sophia's been so depressed since Esther's death, that she'll invite her to join. As the girls grab their things, they hear Dorothy scream, Ma! Oh my God! Certain it's something bad, Blanche and Rose run to check on the situation. Finding Dorothy with her hands over her mouth, Blanche lets out a classic chicken scream. Pause for chicken scream. As Rose turns away, looking to the bed, we find the two white-haired, white tank top wearing white people, Sophia and Max, who are sitting up in the bed together. Flabbergasted, Dorothy asks, what the hell is going on? With a gentle smile and an even gentler voice, Sophia tells her, it's afterglow. But walking into that room to discover that your parent has done that. Yeah. And that you're like in it. Yeah. Would be a tough, uh, tough thing to, to deal with. Thank you. I know that they're on television and they're older. I'm almost more upset by how much clothing they're wearing. Bye. I find that very upsetting. Yeah, I think, though, that may be. I wonder if that's more like uh, when people would do that in the 50s. Maybe the man kept his shirt on. Maybe. I honestly think it's like, okay, we can show them in bed. We can show... I feel like it's some, like I Love Lucy style. A little yeah, bit. yeah, like some nighttime shows. I feel like they could show the women with the, you know, holding the blanket over their bodies to imply nudity. Yeah. But I think they were like, you can't make it seem like an 80 year old was nude. I think it was ageist. Definitely. Honestly. You're not going to oh, show a wrinkled body. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's cool. I, in it's uh, it's nice to see that people are maybe that's still right. horny then. That's right. Get it in, man. Yeah. Ma'am. Grandma'am, everybody, grandpapa, pee pee and poo poo papa are slamming it around. That's right. Good for them. Yeah, just get crazy on each other. You're gonna die relatively soon. Yeah, compared to your birth. So get to it. You might as yeah get some get some stank on it. If you know what die unclean. Well. That's not what I mean. <laughs> die unclean. That's what I'm die saying. with a social disease. <laughs> I just meant, you know, be like your great just, grandpa. Just be a little nasty. Take it to Chattanooga sometimes, you know? Yeah. According to a very basic yet interesting study by the Kinsey Institute, afterglow is considered the post sex bump in sexual satisfaction. This is due mostly to the chemicals released during sex, such as dopamine and oxytocin. The afterglow was found to last for about 48 hours, explaining why most of the couples in the study had sex every two to four days. Then Dorothy asks, in regard to Max's arrival to Miami, when he got in. The long pause and look of concern on Max's face makes this one heck of a spicy joke. Finally realizing Dorothy meant when he got into Miami and not her mother, He answers, oh, yesterday. At first, Dorothy is cordial, saying she could have made dinner for him if she had known he was coming to town before she turns into Ellen. Come on, sugar. Come to Mama. Let's show him how to do it. Yes, ma'am. Oh, sorry. That wasn't Ellen barking. That was Dorothy barking that she could have made him dinner before he slept with her mother. Losing it, Dorothy walks around the bed, the bed containing her family friend and mother, 
the bed that was very recently coitled in, spouting about how disappointed she is. That's when Sophia drops a bomb and Dorothy drops on the bed unconscious, the bed holding her partially undressed mother. The two are getting married. Let me spell it out for you. Go to hell. It's been some time. Max is now in a brown robe. Sophia is in her pink one. Rose is slapping Dorothy awake as she finally comes to. That was the first time Dorothy ever fainted. Wanting to know what it was like, Rose asks, as she too has never passed out. To illustrate, Dorothy returns the favor and slaps her several times across the face. Coco, have you ever passed out? Hmm. I, uh, hmm. I've never passed out from... Not alcohol? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I had a feeling. I think so, yeah. Otherwise, no, I've never been, like, knocked unconscious. I've been hit in the head pretty hard, but never knocked unconscious. Uh, On those other occasions that you were, like, was it the kind where you just are still functioning, but you don't remember anything, or you were unconscious, like, eyes closed, gone? No, it was, like, more... Um, a black more, yeah, it would be like it would be like a blackout, alcohol blackout, preceding just a void, a, an actual nothing, oh and then waking up, and you're like, yeah, so yeah, but That's not fair. in a, not in a fun sitcom way. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> you? You no. passing out? Or? I've no. never passed out. I, I could, I could see that about you. You're, a, you're a, well. You're, you're a, you I'm stubborn. You're stubborn? Oh, yeah. You're like, no, 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 no. I got more to say. I'm not passing out. No way. I've had a few times where it's like uh, maybe overheated and dehydrated or really bad period or whatever moments where it's like, whoa, the super lightheaded and a little bit of tunnel vision. But yeah, never like. I, I really am surprised that I'm not because I feel that like I I seem like someone that would maybe pass out, but I don't have, well, you I don't do have fall that. a lot. Wanting to know how all of this came to be, how the relationship came to be the relationship. No more spicy jokes. Max and Sophia share that after the funeral, they went on a walk. Then they were talking. And soon after having a hot dog, they were holding hands. Then they realized they were in love. And if it's all a mistake, who cares? They're in their 80s. They'll probably die before things go bad. Just like my grampy. A few years after my Grammy died, he ended up in a partially independent facility. There he met Betty. Man, was that a weird time. We knew he was still frisky as he had killed my grandma by boning her that morning. But this gal was little and old. And it was so weird to have it be Grammy and grampy for 60 years. And then bam, Betty. No one fought them getting married, but it was all just like a mess. She got cancer and she died after just two or three years. Then there was weird stuff with her family and the finances. And my grampy was probably pulling some scam to rip her off, if I had to guess. Hey. Hmm. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> it's Jeepers. Yeah. The new couple share a kiss, leaving Blanche and Rose to swoon. But Dorothy isn't having it. It's probably hard to see her mom with someone that isn't her dad. And it's also probably strange that it was someone she's heard her bitching about for most of her life. So Dorothy refuses to have anything to do with the wedding and storms out. Sophia gets to the door and is still yelling how she doesn't need her daughter's involvement, but also she can get them a gift from the defunct since 1996 department store, Jordan Marsh. 
The Jordan Marsh Super Sale is on. Super! This is the place for spectacular store-wide savings. Super! Thursday, Friday, and Saturday only. Save 25 to 50% on selected fashions, accessories, housewares, and more. Super! Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Three days of sizzling savings of 25 to 50%. The Super Sale at Jordan Marsh is on. This is the place, Jordan Marsh. It's been long enough that the invitations for Max and Sophia's wedding are being sent out by Rose, who is putting them together at the kitchen table. Joining her is Blanche in a new, very late 80s outfit, bright magenta pants and a sweater, but one sleeve is yellow, one is red, the back is teal, and the collar is black. Wow. Unconcerned with the wedding, Blanche suggests they get an Elvis impersonator. Thinking she meant for them at the house, Rose is on board, but they would benefit more from a new dishwasher. After a sigh and an eye roll, Blanche clarifies. The fan club is having an issue getting members. If they get an impersonator, it might bring people in. Rose loves the idea. When Dorothy wanders in, she's told the exciting news. She, in her white button-up sweater vest of blue with an explosion of multiple colors like a fabric corsage, Dorothy is not all that interested in the impersonator. Even though she kicked her out of the HHBLC, Blanche still wants Dorothy's advice for getting an impersonator. Not caring, she jokes they should use the same method as picking out a melon. Give it a thump. Rose offers to take the lead in finding an Elvis, and she'll get on it as soon as she gets done with the you-know-who's invites. It didn't matter that she didn't talk about it specifically. Dorothy still gets cranky just thinking about the wedding. The girls love her, and they understand where she's coming from, but they also love Sophia, and they think it's time that Dorothy stopped digging in her heels and just gave her the blessing. Besides, it's happening. The food is ordered. The invites are going out. There's no stopping it. For Dorothy, this isn't just about her mom, though. It's that she's known how much her mother hated this guy for all those years. Now, after just a couple of days, they've decided to spend the rest of their lives together? How is that even possible? Q rose with the story of how, when she was seven years old, she first met her Charlie. And in the first 10 minutes, he proposed. She ran home to tell her mother, who reminded her she was just a little kid. She needed to wait until she was a grown-up and she was sophisticated and after she had explored the world before settling down. So she should wait until she was at least 15 like everyone else. You can't say that. But that wasn't what Rose wanted. She wanted to travel and get an education. So she attended St. Gustav University, or Gustavus Aldolfus Liberal Arts College in St. Peter, and graduated first of her class in Latin studies. Hearing Rose had ever studied Latin blows Dorothy's mind. That's when Rose speaks some. What she forgot to mention was that it was pig Latin she had studied. You know, the goofy language we all spoke in elementary school. We had a version that was like, how the gal are the gar, you the goo. The other version, which Rose is fluent in, is where you move the first part of the word to the end with an A in the middle. Hence, Orthy Day. Ash J. Bagash J. Boy, I heard that a lot when I was a kid. Oh, really? Osh, Osh yeah. Kosh, Bajosh. Yeah, Josh, Kosh, Bajosh. Bagosh. Bagosh. Yeah. No, I just was like not okay. into overalls. 
Then I didn't want to think about it all the time because people would say it a lot. Stop reminding me of overalls. I mean, I just don't want to. I don't about... like overalls. Well, I was like, those are like. Why are you bringing them up? For babies, I think. And like, I wasn't a baby then. I'm still not one. I mean, you were upset being reminded about overalls. And I still am. So you're kind of a baby. <laughs> well, well. <laughs> Coming into the room with a wedding dress in hand is Sophia, who is happily showing off the garment to those who care, which, seeing that she removed herself from the area, is not Dorothy. Noticing the light color of the dress, Rose reminds Sophia of the virgin wearing white rule. Sophia doesn't care. Besides, the last time she was a virgin, it was 1803 and the Louisiana Purchase was taking place. Well, what she actually said in the show was that the purchase was in escrow. And I have a little story about escrow. See, for those who don't know, escrow is like the in-between if you're buying a house. So it's kind of like Sweden. It's not the money in the bank and it's not the money with the person yet. It's kind of floating there until the deal is done. Well, when I first moved to Vegas in 2007, 2006, I knew nothing of real estate or escrow. But my family friend was willing to give me a job as his assistant as he was a real estate agent. And I believe my second or third day after dealing with the word escrow over and over and over and talking to people as though I had any idea what they were saying, I then called my dad and I said, Dad, I have a question. And he said, yes. Okay, all I've been hearing about is how the money is an escrow. The money is an escrow. Where the hell is escrow? Is that like in California or something? I've never heard of it. And my dad cracked up because... It's nothing. It's it's not a place. It's a bank, basically. And that's my escrow story. Pretty embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> still, I've heard it a couple of times and it still is. But thank, thankfully, you called your dad and not a friend. I'm yeah, sure your, or dad, I didn't your ask... dad has definitely told that story. And I didn't ask the, the guy I was working with. I didn't want oh, him to know. Man. But also... They knew I had no experience. Like, I could be an assistant. No problem. I'll type stuff up. I'll make phone calls. Boop, 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 whatever. Is escrow like, basically, you go to a store, you pay for something, and then, like, before they give you the receipt is escrow? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Like, that, for a millisecond. that two seconds before the receipt <laughs> enters your hand is escrow. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, there we go. Bringing the dress to the kitchen wasn't just about showing it off. It was to try and guilt Dorothy into approving of the marriage. As Sophia says, she can't be wed until she has you-know-whose blessing. Rose then asks who the whose is. After screaming Dick Clark, the host of American Bandstand and Rockin' New Year's Eve, Sophia gives the real answer of Dorothy, you idiot. Thinking the idiot part was just another sweet nickname for her daughter, Rose tries to get Dorothy's attention. Dorothy, your mother's calling for you. And I think between that moment and the getting your panties out of the pile, this is a really great Rose episode. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's really hitting it. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> like it's the per for me, that's the perfect Rose situation. Not a Rose story episode, but where she just happens to have like joke after joke after joke. Both of those were like tossed off lines. And I think she's not even making eye contact with anyone. Oh, yeah. So casual. Down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's really... um the forgotten star of this episode. Yeah, that pile of panties is like one of my favorite jokes <laughs> on the sh on the show. It was so so good, so funny. God. Or like for her, that would be the most 
annoying part or the least enjoyable part of after a party. She's like, hmm, if Blanche is at a party and the party ends, oh, that'd be horrible to try to dig through a bunch of people's underwear and find yours. Or that like she in would, Rose's like, mind. Like that's... she would know that happens, but she didn't maybe wouldn't associate it with sex even. It's like, yeah. that's what you do at a crazy <laughs> party. Y'all pile up your underwear. Hopeful she can get what she seeks, Sophia approaches Dorothy, who is ignoring her by pretending to look through the fridge. She tells her daughter that she called her sister in Sicily. There's excitement about the wedding, but concerns it will be cursed if Sophia doesn't get a blessing from either her oldest daughter or her child with the most facial hair. Unfortunately for Sophia, those are the same people. But Dorothy knows all of the intricate rules surrounding Sicilian curses. And in this case, she cannot curse her daughter because her betrothed is shorter than five foot seven. She knows these rules because she used MCI, the then second largest telephone provider, and spoke to her aunt herself. You're about to witness a call that can't be made on AT&T. Okay, I'll marry you. Because this call is on MCI primetime. $8 for an hour of calls starting at 5. AT&T could cost 15. Kids! MCI primetime. One price all evening, the whole country. Call now. But your mother can't live with us. It's finally the day of the wedding. Blessed or not, Sophia's moving forward and moving other things as we then hear a toilet flush. There's another bathroom in this house? Good Lord. Where, where is this other bathroom? It's in Sophia's room. Sophia also has it. She's, I've always felt bad. Oh, she's got the tiny room. Oh, the little tiny closet. You know, everyone else has huge, massive space. Oh, right. She yeah. has her own bathroom. There's the trade-off. Oh, they, I think they, I think they all do. I think they all have their own bathroom. My God. Yeah. And then another bathroom. And then there's like a spare bathroom. And a bathroom. hallway bathroom. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so many toilets. That's a lot of toilets. We live in a one toilet house. It's enough. I mean, barely. <laughs> Two would be nice. Right next to each other. Yeah, facing. Yeah. Coming to help is Rose in a light pink peplum blouse and champagne skirt and Blanche in a bright blue flapper meets 80s dress. Following the sounds, they knock on the door, checking on Sophia. But it's not her. It's football player Merlin Olson. His popularity earned him a spokesperson job for FTD, hence her joke of forget-me-nots. When I was a boy, I thought flowers were magic. You know what? I still do. I'm Merlin Olson, and I've seen the magic of flowers. Delight a wonderful dad. Make a special day perfect. The magic of flowers. A magic your FTD florist understands. When you send flowers from an FTD florist, you know they'll be fresh, they'll be right, and they can be delivered anywhere, often within hours. How does FTD do it? It's a little magic all their own. Before the girls can get Sophia ready, she tells them the wedding is canceled. When Max checks in, she declares her love for him, but says she's worried they aren't in love. Maybe they're moving too fast. Maybe they're too old. Sophia then goes into a story about how they were walking and talking and loving, and it brings Dorothy to tears. Dorothy goes to the door to talk to her ma, but before we hear that conversation, we get to meet one of the best guest characters of the series, Ray Burke. This is the first time we get to have Ray Burke as our caterer, but it won't be the last. And this was far from his last role. He's had 114 roles since starting his career in 1970, a career that is still going strong. 
Other films and shows that were lucky enough to have Ray in them were Hill Street Blues, Hawaii Five-0, Remington Steel, St. Elsewhere, Throw Mama from the Train, Alf, Newhart, Matlock, Perfect Strangers, Doc Hollywood, Cheers, Home Improvement, Empty Nest, Coach, Seinfeld, you know he was on La La, and he played the villainous Papschmeer in the Naked Gun series. Will that be with cream and sugar, sir? Uh, Mr. Papschmeer? Cream only, please. Tell me, Mr. Papschmeer, have you ever seen sensory-induced hypnosis? I think I just have. But how will you get her near the target? Oh, I doubt whether it will be her. Good secretaries are so hard to find these days. Playing what was considered a stereotypical gay man of the late 80s, the crowd is already laughing at his appearance as he holds his hand to his chest, demanding to know where the bride is as he is the caterer and the food is getting cold. Or maybe it's his terrible, I'm not going bald because I have a long ponytail that's eliciting the laughter. While the waving of his hands gets more giggles, the group tells him what's up. Dorothy is still trying to talk to her mother through the door when Max shares with Ray that she hasn't given her blessing. Without hesitation, he approaches Dorothy, classically calling her Stretch. He doesn't care what's going on. Dorothy needs to get over it because he's got a sensitive assistant and a hundred cheese puffs that are both about to collapse. He even adds that his own mother got over her hangups when it came to his marriage. Since gay marriage wasn't legal at the time and given his disposition, Dorothy turns to him with curious wonder. Before she can ask any clarifying questions, he warns her that if she makes any jokes, he'll slap her silly. To counter his femininity, Dorothy tells Rambo to get lost, which he does, not by leaving the room, but by going to the end of the line of supporters. Getting back to the issue at hand, Dorothy tells Ma that she originally came to the room to tell her once again that the marriage was a mistake, but now she realizes she was struggling with the idea of her being with someone other than her dad. She was just being protective. Now that she's seen and heard how much they really do love each other, all she wants for her mother is for her to be happy. Oh my God, what is Dorothy wearing to her mother's wedding? She's got her gray flesh boots and a tubular skirt with a matching blouse, and they're both kind of taupe brown. Of course, the collar of the shirt is folded down to reveal a white collar laying atop some random zebra stripes. Well, anyway, where were we? Oh yes, the blessing. Dorothy finally approves and walks away from the door, giving Sophia room to make a grand entrance in her stunning off-white lace and satin wedding gown. Some of the audience giggles. I'm not sure why. Maybe because she looks extra tiny in the dress or because she's moving so slowly. Ray is now crying as the moment was more moving for him than the Oscar award-winning performance of Susan Hayward in the film I Want to Live. Of all of the names and movies to mention, we, especially Coco, are well-versed in the story of Barbara Graham, which was portrayed by Susan Hayward in the very groovy 1958 film, I Want to Live. Coco actually covered her story as one of his first cases when he decided to co-host Murder in the Rain. Coco, would you like to say anything about that? Yeah, the case of Barbara Graham was uh, took place in, in initially in Burbank, which is where I'm from. And it was a, a case where a gang of thieves broke into an old woman's house thinking that they she had a stash of money from the her friend who was a Vegas gambling casino guy. They broke into her house and beat her to death for money that wasn't there. And then Susan Hayward's character, Barbara Graham, in the movie 
and her accomplices, not her accomplices, all four of them or three of them end up going to the, the gas chamber That's right. at San Quentin and being, uh, being executed. Well, it's a fascinating case and it was just a, a heinous crime and uh, bully. Yeah. And there was a whole, the, the other guys that, that were a part of it that were also executed eventually were part of this, this gang called the Mountain Murder Mob in Northern California that were thought to be responsible for a bunch of murders. It was a really nutso case. And there was some gray area too, as far as her being a woman put to death. It was like, well, everything that happened looked like it had to have been done by a man as far as the strength required. So did she have anything to do with it? Did she, was she the gang leader? Was she just dragged along? And all of the co-conspirators kind of pointed their fingers at her as, yeah. as though she was the one, because as, as always happened, the media took that story and turned her into like this dangerous oh yeah uh, femme fatale or whatever she'll and really seduce she, you and yeah. rob you and kill you because she's a single mom and i think she was just she was just in it and it may, might have been drugs or something but she right. was she was hooked hooked to these people somehow and they did yeah witness something awful anyways it is a good film we watched yeah. it and as far as the story goes it's fairly accurate now susan hayward was quite the hollywood starlet and it's a very beatnik film and it's very dramatic. So as far as the portrayal, I don't know if Barbara was as intense, but a lot of the things did happen. Like, wasn't there something where she wanted a blindfold or something in the... Yeah, before she was taken to the gas chamber, she asked for a blindfold and the, the attendant who was actually, I think the warden's wife, gave her uh, her own sleep mask to wear yeah. into the gas chamber. Yeah. Yeah, and she had to, yeah. So there were, yeah, so a oh, lot of the several, elements were quite accurate. There were several stays of execution. Oh my God, yeah, it went on days hours. and yeah. hours, yeah. I mean, it, up in two, and then the night of it, a couple of times they yeah. called to stop it, and then, and then it They're went like, on. it's happening at anyways. nine, it's happening yeah. at midnight, it's happening at four. So she had to prepare herself to die over several over times, over. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so it is fascinating. Yeah. It was awful. It's an interesting case and uh, a classic movie. And truly just the weirdest possible. For us, for the two of us, that is like the weirdest <laughs> reference to just have pop up like that. I was I was shocked. We're like, wait, we know that movie. Yeah, I've seen that movie and I know all about the facts of it. Yeah, it was really. Yeah. Oh, uh, Mabel Monaghan was the name of the uh, the victim in that. Uh, oh, Barbara that's Graham right. Case. Yeah. That's right. Who was a uh, vaudevillian performer and uh, roller skate like acrobat mm -hmm. who did a husband and wife team yeah. uh, on the circuit. And yeah, she was murdered. Very sad. Well, for as little as $5 a month, you can join Murder in the Rain's Patreon and hear so many bonus episodes and goofy content of even more of Coco and I being idiots. But you can also hear the entire story of Barbara Graham and uh, what reference that is that's being made of I Want to Live. You heard me, Graham. Hands above your head. They'll all die violently. The spies, the liars, all the ones who want me dead. I'm innocent. All I can think of was that I couldn't prove my alibi. Looking over to Ray as he starts to get emotional, Blanche gives the oh boy of, you're about to fly right out of here which I can only assume is something related to terms like being light in the loafers or being a fairy. But Ray doesn't have time for her comments, calling her the anti-gay pro-orange juice bitch whom we've spoken of before, Anita Bryant. And that's all the time we're giving her. Blanche and Ray are locked in a smirk stare down. Sophia and Dorothy are stuck in a hug and Max has had it. He is ready to get hitched. 
With everyone back to reality, they scamper to get to their places and to get on with the show. Blanche gives Sophia a hug and love. Rose gives her garbled and spittled gerflurken gherkin blessing, leaving Sophia with a wet face. But it's time to go. With a group hug, they're off to the wedding. Wagner's wedding march begins to play as Blanche comes down the hall. First, she sees the floral arch Max is standing under. Oh, isn't it lovely? But then she sees something else that causes her face to scrunch up in confusion. When Rose comes out, her face drops in concern. Then the camera turns and we see what the problem is. The rows of chairs for the guests are actually occupied by a group of men dressed in a variety of Elvis costumes. When Dorothy spots them, her eyebrows raise in shock. Sophia loses all sense of romance and her eyes bug out. She's frozen, unable to look away or approach her groom. That's when Rose realizes what she's done. She mixed up the wedding invitations with the Elvis impersonator search invitations. Now all of their guests look like they appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. Of Elvis's three performances on Ed Sullivan, the original has been named by the History Channel as one of the 10 days that changed America. It was a big deal, is what I'm saying. But hey, at least now the girls can audition the performers before deciding who to invite to the HHBLFC. Annoyed at whatever the hell is going on, Sophia is ready to get to the wedding. There's a smidge of a plot whoopsie here, or maybe Rose is just controlling herself. But we learn in the future she doesn't just love weddings, she gets hot at them. Blanche is also a fan. This leads Dorothy to ask if they'll ever get married again. Neither Rose or Dorothy expect to do so. Blanche, on the other hand, would love to get married again. It's just hard to find a man who fits her requirements. Besides George, no one has ever accused Blanche of having good taste. For crying out loud, she got rid of Jake. Hi, I'm Jake Smollett from VIP Catering. I was going to ask you to marry me. Her expectations of her future husband gives us a look into what she's looking for in a man, and boy, oh boy. She wants a man with the ripped body of the then-starring-in-the-lethal-weapon franchise Mel Gibson. This was before it was learned he was a sexist anti-Semitic. On top of that body, the guy needs the $300 million of four-times-married Tonight Show host Johnny Carson. And the cherry on top of this nightmare Sunday, the guy needs to be a fraudulent, lying, wannabe mafioso con man and make money like the former president. Yikes. In a TV wedding ceremony that is as long as Sophia is tall, the couple are officially hitched and they share a sweet little smooch. An Elvis in the front row then strums his guitar and starts singing a beautiful love song, Elvis's Hawaiian wedding song from the 1961 film Blue Hawaii. It's obviously packed with oh boys and using Hawaiian language and all that colonizer business, but it's a pretty song. of guests in the room right now, so let's talk about them. Harvey J. Goldenberg, playing the preacher, had a modest career compared to the beasts of Ray Burke and Jack Guilford. Of his 29 roles, he was in That Girl, The Bob Newhart Show, MASH, Kojak, Chips, Falcon Crest, Mr. Belvedere, and Days of Our Lives. 
Okay, I've got a weird note here. A character in this episode is named Ruth, but there is no Ruth. But there was an Esther, but she didn't have an actor listed. So maybe I'll go out on a limb and say perhaps the names were mixed up and Ruth is actually Esther. In that case, Esther was played by Fritzi Burr, who had a 30-year acting career. You may have seen her in They Shoot Horses, Don't They? That Girl, Love American Style, Chinatown, The Odd Couple, Wonder Woman, Starsky and Hutch, The Rockford Files, Quincy M.E., Facts of Life, Mad About You, Friends, The Nanny, Seinfeld, Moonlighting, and My Sister Sam. If I'm wrong, or you know who Ruth is in this episode? Gmail us. That's right. Okay, let's talk about the Elvis impersonators. We have Roland August, whose other role was playing Elvis in a music video. Richard Bernard must have been inspired by Elvis as he is as well known for his musicianship as his acting. So I would imagine he was the one with the guitar. He has appeared in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Iron Man, The Artist, Monk, and Cheers. His music, which includes him playing such instruments as the banjo, sitar, and didgeridoo, has appeared in Gilmore Girls, The Mindy Project, and the 84th Annual Academy Awards. Scott Gale appeared as Elvis and as a knife clansman in Ninja Vengeance. Blake Gibbons has had, oh rats, 68 roles. Like everyone else in this episode, he was in Days of Our Lives. He also appeared in Dr. Quinn, Murder, She Wrote, Baywatch, Seinfeld, Charmed, The O.C., Dexter, and a variety of CSIs. Tally LaRudy appeared in two other roles in Desperation Rising and the show The Perfect Murder, where he played, that's right, an Elvis impersonator. Maybe the best named Elvis, Rick Lefevre, also appeared in The Fall Guy and The Big Turnaround. Samuel Lloyd's other appearance was in Funky Monkey. Jay Pinnock is still acting after his big break as Elvis. He has been in Empty Nest, Veep, and many short independent films. And now, well, Coco and I apologize in advance as we are huge fans of one Elvis in particular. In the film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Rick Dalton, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, learns famed director, before he was wanted for statutory things, Roman Polanski, is his new neighbor. And he says, I could be one pool party away from starring in a Polanski movie. I love that quote because not only does a pool party of sorts lead to him meeting the Polanski family, but it's true. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And it's not always about what you do, but what opportunities are presented to you. And you never know what can come from different moments in your life. Perhaps talking to this one person will land me my dream job. Perhaps answering the casting call for an Elvis impersonator could lead to one of the most beloved, divisive, celebrated, and parodied careers in Hollywood history. Of course, I'm talking about Quentin Tarantino. Not only does he give the best Elvis dance, but it was his appearance on the show that funded his first film. So the Elvis appearance was, in essence, his pool party. Here he is on The Tonight Show talking about it. One of the jobs I did get, and not because I did a wonderful audition, but simply because they sent my picture in and they said, he's got it, was for an Elvis impersonator on the Golden Girls. And it's like Sophia's wedding is what it was. It was so popular, they put it on a best of the Golden Girls, and I got residuals every time that showed. And that kept me going during our post a pre-production time trying to get Reservoir Dogs going. I am torn about him. I will be honest. I mean, I know several people that cannot stand him and think he's a hack or think he's whatever. And I can totally say I get that. 
And there's a part of me that's surprised he hasn't been me tooed. And maybe that exists and someone hasn't come forward. Or maybe he actually wasn't the piece of garbage that we could imagine him being. So I get the love hate or if someone's not a fan, but we just love his movies so much. <laughs> he puts so much meat on the bones. He does. His movies oh, beg rewatching, I think. Yeah. And uh, have you have you seen all of them? Are there any you've missed? I have not seen Jackie Brown or True Romance. Wow. Uh, Jackie Brown is one of my favorites. I think Jackie Brown and Inglorious Bastards are my favorites. Okay. Um, and I love Django Unchained. But I love Westerns. So that's like... That's true. Uh, though I didn't love Hateful Eight. But yeah, his, his movies are always fascinating. I think he... I wish that he could be sort of turned down a bit. Yes. As far as... Well, some I, of the things that come off as like a little... Uh, I don't, but cringy or like yeah. if you feel a little embarrassed when you're watching it, I think. Well, and I think he's realized, number one, he doesn't have to be in all his movies. And number two, if he does or whoever he's writing for, he doesn't have to use the N-word so much. Mm -hmm. So I feel like he's at least figuring that out. I can't stand his ego. I can't stand that he chooses the N-word so many times, especially for his own characters. Real problematic. Um, so I don't idolize him as a person by any means. But there is just something so sweet about him starting on this show with Betty White. And I feel like that in True Romance, Christian Slater's character talks to an imaginary Elvis, uh, like in the mirror whenever he's in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And it's that Elvis, the Elvis that Quentin Tarantino is dressed as is, yeah. is basically the same Elvis in True Romance, except with like a glittery gold jacket. But yeah. you never see his face. But he's he's got oh, that fun. same thing. Yeah, it's like the, the suit jacket kind of with the like the sports school. shirt and like the khaki. Yeah, those sorts of like kind of loose, I don't know, whatever kind of. Yeah. Uh, and so it was cool to see that. I'd only ever seen the footage and like images of Quentin Tarantino on the show. I don't remember ever seeing the episode. So it was cool to to see just exactly how he was doing Elvis, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. And it's like, it's uh, it's the only one that like it draws the eye because yes. it's so different. Yes. And everyone else is kind of doing the They're the, all doing the like the thing. hips and the lips and yeah. all that. And he's doing like these robotic yeah. snappy arms. Yeah, and I bet he watched whatever movie that's from the before. Oh, yeah. It's also fun to think about him being on the set and watching them do their <laughs> thing. Because it's hours, I'm sure, oh, you're just yeah. sitting there. Oh, yeah. And he was probably, like, thinking about dialogue for Reservoir oh, Dogs. Oh, watching or the True director. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Natural Born Killers that he wrote. He probably, I mean, just, just what was going on in his mind during yeah. that filming. I wish you could bottle and watch. <laughs> yeah. Just he stared at Estelle Getty for an hour. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Her little feet. <laughs> no, no, he's probably into bees' feet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was barefoot, too. She, like, barely wore shoes. Oh, when they so. were filming? Yeah, she had it in her contract. Oh, boy. That she Maybe could that's be... why QT wanted to be in the back row of the Elvises <laughs> so no one could see what was, um, you know. She's kicking those shoes off left and right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what I love most about what he create, his content, not him, is that he is obsessive with movies, not like we are. We're not to that level where it's like everything all the time, but we're pretty obsessed with movies and his films tend to be love letters to movie fans. Even if it's like, oh, it's Kill Bill, so it's ripped off from The Bride Wore Black, oh, but it's Bill. still like about that. the new Ooh. telling of it or, yeah. or just the magic. Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is truly a fairy tale of the good things that could have happened instead of the really horrible stuff that actually happened. And I like that. Somehow he's like doing things that are completely like referential to other things. 
worshipful towards that stuff. Yeah. But it's his own thing. Mm -hmm. You can't, I mean, it's like, it's something that almost no one, I think no one else can do. Yeah. To, to, to look like you're cribbing from something, but to make it, to make it your own and you're in that way is just, yeah. So he's a weird, special kind of filmmaker. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. And that's the tattoo I would love to get. I, I kind of wish it wasn't him because who knows what kind of person he is. It's not about him, mm -hmm. but him as Elvis in like a little cameo with a little banner around it of like, you're just a pool party away. Yeah, that'd be cool. To just be like, you just don't know what tomorrow will bring and you don't know how it'll change your life. Sing One minute you're singing as Elvis at Sophia's wedding and the next you're making Reservoir Dogs. And Coco, you said you'd only seen the clip of him as Elvis, so you hadn't seen this episode. Correct, yeah. It's a funny one. It was very funny. It was great to see uh, the... The guy from Cocoon. Yeah. I, I loved Cocoon when I was a kid because <laughs> that's how I am. I, I was like, yes, yeah, a movie about old people on an adventure. That's, that speaks to me. I'm, I was seven, I think, when that came out. Like, that's my energy. God. Yeah, I was. Honestly, the idea of like hanging out with old people, I was like, that seems pretty chill. <laughs> that's like the level I'm at. So you liked Max. A lot of great jokes from Rose. A lot of great faces from Blanche. Yeah, and I think yeah, yeah, Blanche was on it. I, I loved yeah, Dor everyone was really on yeah, really. And it's on a fire. fun story. It's kind of chaotic mm -hmm. on paper. It's like the B, you know, the secondary story is about an Elvis fan club, and the main story is that Sophia's getting remarried to like her nemesis, and so it sounds really crazy, but it just all works. And the way it all worked into each other that the Elvis impersonators show up, it was a really good blending, and it made for a lot of funny moments. It was a it's a classic sitcom episode. I it think. is. It really is. Yeah, it was a, a bunch of great jokes, and it was it was like uh, spicy in that in that good way too. Mm -hmm. it, or you know, in the nineties, people would have been like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> ow, ow, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> dog pound. The happy couple looks on as the men perform. It was hard to look away, but eventually everyone is in a group hug celebrating, and they're still in shock that they're standing in a room of Elvis's. I'm kind of surprised Blanche wasn't hornier about the situation. Maybe it's only Dorothy who's into impersonators. That's a hint for a future episode. Sometimes when it comes to love, we have to choose between a partner and a friend. Even now in 2023, we have to fight to have the right to love who we want. What matters isn't the ones against you, but the ones with you. If someone says they love you, but they can't support who you love, then they don't love you. Loving you means wanting you to be happy. It means trusting that you know what's best for you. Unless your partner is unsafe or unhealthy, your friends and loved ones should have nothing to say about who you choose to be with. As we've said before, the only people who know what's going on in a relationship are the people in it. So save your judgments and just love who you love and love those who love you. And if they can't love you for you, the best you can do is send them love and walk away. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week for the titillating conclusion of Sophia's Wedding with Sophia's Wedding, Part 2.
Speaking of talking about Quentin Tarantino too much. We're gonna. Get ready. I feel like this, I honest, I I can tell this is going to be an insane episode. <laughs> well, like, there's a weird combination of things going there's on. so many things happening. <laughs> yeah, I spill something. I spill <laughs> an entire cup of coffee on the dog. <clears throat> Not sleeping great. Not sleeping great. Actually, she did that to herself. But yeah, inter- happy International Pet Day, everybody. Sure, Spill but... some uh, lukewarm <laughs> coffee on your on your lovely little dog or cat or whatever you have. Hamster, uh, raccoon if they're allowed in your state. Horse. Why, well, I'm a shika vagabond. Shika, shika, shika. That was the... Uh... That was the jaguar jaguar he punches. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. Why did I even start explaining that? Uh 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 Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'll get a super cut of that. Or of Austin Butler not being able to talk normal. Just him on the red carpet. Be like, oh, yeah. I'm from San Diego, baby. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Tom Tom Hanks. Tom Tom Parker. (laughs) I'm not complimenting you, but I think it's a No, and I thank you for that. Starts a sad story of F. Oh my God. Murray Abraham? Yes. <laughs> yes, Murray Abraham? Oh, I guess you'd say T. Murray Abraham when it's true. Oh my God. F. Murray Abraham for, for false, false Murray Abraham. <laughs> and true Murray Abraham. You felt so good about that last conversation making sense that you had to come back with that. <laughs> well, I have to put the, the excess, the waste has to go somewhere. <laughs> You got to give me some the, work to do. I used all the nutrients, and these are the poops. <laughs> well, no, it's I'm o- fine with it. I'm good. It's with okay. It. I got to have female comedian heroes like Katherine Heigl, and then every other movie had forty-five hilarious dudes in it, but like making terrible movies. I have some feelings about it. Obviously, I knew that worked. <laughs> He's got to push someone in a hole, and they'll be like, "Oh, Ooh, I love you. I love you." Like that. What? Dean Martin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, it's cold outside, baby. How appreciative his leaf, leaf wife. Mm, I don't think that's right. Especially now that he's spruced up for a night owl by night owl. Knowing that Dorothy's point is correct, Sophia approaches poor pop pop. Poor pop pop. Poor pop pop. Oh no, pop pop. According to a very basic yet interesting study by the Kinsey Institute, Institute for Steps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gulp. It just made me so. <laughs> it was so spicy. Oh my god, the spiciness of the jokes. <laughs> my milk is coiled. Wanting to know what it was like. Lice. Ah. She in her white butt. Uh. Tin up. You think we can edit that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll be tight, but we can do it. Because she's something. very open about having a double toilet bathroom. Like, they're next to each other. This is the worst thing I've ever heard. It's the worst it. thing I've it. ever heard. And also, like. Uh, 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 uh. I take in a lot of air. Sanford and Son, The Rockford Files, Wincy, Wincy and Me. I believe the plural of Elvis is Elvi. Oh, I'm sorry. In a room of Elvi. <laughs> Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. 
Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.